Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, August 10th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me today from a steamy hut in New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So even as summer pours on the heat, Andrew, school is already resuming in some parts of the country. And within weeks, the nation's colleges and universities begin to welcome the class of 2022. A good reason then for students and their parents to think about the cost of learning materials. It's a subject that educational publishers reflect on often, and now lawyers are doing likewise. It's all because this month, publisher Cengage introduced a new subscription service that it says will lower costs for students. As you reported on the show this past spring, the move earned them a lawsuit from some of their authors who claim the switch will cheat them of royalties. Last week in Publishers Weekly, you reported there have been some interesting new developments in the case, so catch us up on where things stand. Sure. So, you know, right off the bat, we'll say that Cengage, one of the world's largest educational publishers, if not the world's largest educational publisher, this month has, as it has planned, launched its new subscription service for students. It's called Cengage Unlimited, and it offers students the chance to license pretty much all of Cengage's content, as well as specially created tools such as videos and quizzes and study guides. Uh, they can get this by the term for about 120 bucks, or uh, for the year for 180 bucks, and also there's an option for two years for 240 bucks. So, on its face, it sounds like a very interesting idea, right? We're, we live in this subscription age now, Netflix and Amazon, etc. And I like the idea that a community college student, for example, could license basically all of a good chunk of their course materials anyway, right up front for a significant discount. You know, basically for two years, that would be an associate's degree right there. Uh, so I would have to think that's very, very attractive for a number of students. Now, of course, there's going to be limits to this. You know, you have to have some idea of, of what materials you're going to need, what's going to be assigned, what classes you're going to take. And of course, you have to be sure you're not going to change your mind or drop out or transfer schools. But I think it's fair to say that a decent chunk of students are in programs that offer them a good idea of what they're going to need, so much so that this might make sense for them. And obviously, the concept of a blanket license for academic materials is well established. I'm talking to the Copyright Clearance Center people here, so obviously you know that well. And of course, so too is, the, is subscription access. You know, there's this little company called Elsevier, among others you may have heard of. But what's interesting here is that Cengage is in the educational realm, the college course market, not the research realm. And they are expressly morphing into a direct-to-student service provider rather than just a textbook seller. And that's a big change. And the lawsuit that was filed in May is evidence of just how big a change that is. Well, it's a good point about the direct-to-student service provider that you say Cengage is trying to become. They're, they're learning a lot more about that particular market, and they released a survey recently on how students feel about the cost of learning materials. No surprises, students think books and other materials are just way too costly. Yeah, there's no shocker there, right? And, and of course, it's not surprising that uh, a Cengage Commission study, they worked with Morning Consult on, on doing this survey. So it's no surprise that a survey meant to sort of bolster their new business model would hammer the point home. But 
I think the point really is that the survey, you know, it's what I like to call a moonshot. Before we sent a man to the moon, we knew what was up there. We knew what was thin air and rocks. Uh, and in this case, we also knew that you know, before we commissioned the survey, that students think their costs are too high. You know, there's been all kinds of movement on this in the past. You know, I wouldn't say movement, but talk about it. So much so that Congress has even been looking at the issue. In fact, in last year, they even reintroduced a bill that was designed to address the high cost of textbooks. Uh, I don't think that bill is moving at all, but you know, nevertheless, Congress has been looking into the issue. And I'm going to be looking more closely at the Cengage survey next week. I have a copy of it here, and I've been going over it. Um, I'll be writing about that on the Publishers Weekly site, but I'll give you two big takeaways from that survey, and that's that nine out of ten students think that their learning materials are overpriced, and eight out of ten think those prices are just unfair, that they're being gouged. Uh, and in fact, I'll throw another number out at you here too. Six out of ten don't buy their materials as a result. They choose to share with a friend, or they seek other ways to access them, whether that's through a library or through a used bookstore, or whether you know they pirate them, dare I say? <laughs> and again, you know, this survey was commissioned by Sengage pretty much to bolster its switch, but I don't think the results here are biased. I think they're actually very, very to the point and honest. And I, I think students definitely feel this way. I think students are anxious over all the costs that they face when getting an education, whether it's room and board or whether it's their materials. And I also think, uh, as nearly half the survey said, uh, most of these students expect digital materials and subscriptions to be used more in the future uh, and that they expect that to help them uh, ameliorate their costs a little bit. When Copyright Clearance and Beyond the Book returns, Andrew Albanese takes us to his law chambers for a look at arguments in the case of the missing royalties. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, August 10th, 2018, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me as he does each week with news and insights on the world of publishing and reading. Before the break, Andrew, you gave us background on the move by Cengage to release a subscription service for textbooks called Cengage Unlimited. Last spring, you reported here and in Publishers Weekly that two Cengage authors say the publisher, which had recently emerged from bankruptcy, is unilaterally switching to a business model that will cut into their royalties. Cengage has now responded to that lawsuit. What's your take? Yeah, that's right. There's two authors, uh, David Knox and Carolyn Schacht, uh, that say that their deals are based on a royalty per sale, basically a book sale model. Uh, and that now that royalty per sale model is being replaced by a cut of subscription revenue that is termined, determined entirely by Cengage. Uh, they want to have this case classified as a class action, but my take is that they don't have a prayer. Okay, so why not? What do you see as the suit's fatal flaw? Well, first off, as we talked about in May, when the suit was filed, this case was always going to come down to the contract. 
at least in my estimation, and in a couple lawyers that I spoke to. And the contracts in this case were appended uh, to Cengage's answer, which was delivered on July 30th, uh, July 31st, I believe, in court. And as expected, looking at those contracts, they don't really augur well for the author's case. So first off, those contracts date back to 1989 and 1994. They were originally signed with West Publishing. Cengage clearly took them over. And they were only three pages long. I reached out to publishing lawyer Lloyd Jassen and I sent him the documents and he took a look and he agreed that what they show is that Cengage did indeed obtain a broad rights by assignment. Both contracts literally fork over all rights, including the right to prepare a digital edition. They also fully assign the copyrights to the publisher, meaning that the publisher has a wide berth to sell the works however they please, but also to create new digital products based on the works. As Jason explained, the authors made two key mistakes. You know, this was many, many years ago, so maybe they can be somewhat forgiven for this. But nevertheless, um, those mistakes were quite common in educational publishers back then. And the first is that they didn't get audit rights in the contract, which, again, was only three pages long. And they assigned all rights very broadly rather than licensing specific rights. So this week, the plaintiff attorneys actually sent the court a proposed schedule for moving the case forward. It looks like they're optimistic that they're actually going to have a case to move forward. Uh, but my feeling is that if the authors continue this action, Cengage is at some point soon just going to file a motion to dismiss, pointing to these contracts, and that they're more than likely going to be successful. So how significant an issue is the audit rights in this case? In this case, because there is no audit, right, it may not be significant, but really it's a huge deal. And it's really what's driving the author's claims in this litigation. As Lloyd Jassen pointed out to me, Cengage in its answer concedes that the value of the third party tools, that's the videos and the assessments or the tests and the homework assignments, etc., all of which is included in Cengage Unlimited, the subscription service, well, that's all factored into the product's pricing. And that is being used to depress the net on uh, which Cengage authors' royalties are being paid. In other words, Cengage is investing in creating new products based on the author's work, which, as the fully assigned copyright holder, they are allowed to do. But then they're writing off the costs of the, the investment in those products and the price of those products against the net revenue collected. And that, of course, is depressing the amount of royalties that the authors are going to be paid. Now, there's no crime in that, Justin explains, but Cengage claims the values they ascribe to those tools and derivative works are fair. But are they? Uh, are those third-party costs and expenses impermissible? Are they inflated? Well, absent a contractual audit right, Jason points out, the only way to shine a light on how Cengage is actually calculating royalties is litigation. Now, if the judge sees it this way, is needed to help keep Cengage's calculations above board, the suit may continue. Or, more likely, there may be a settlement in which an audit is allowed. But, you know, given the broad and explicit grant of rights in this contract, I'm not sure how likely that is. You know, the fact is, on its face, Cengage is still, in theory, selling copies of the author's work. And even if it is pushing consumers toward a new subscription product, I'm not sure that matters because there's nothing in the contract that binds them to a specific business model. So it's not hard to imagine that many Cengage authors and probably textbook authors with other publishers, too, are one Wondering the same things as these two plaintiff authors. Is a class action here possible, in your opinion? For authors who signed contracts before the digital age really kicked in, uh, class action litigation may be their only option to ensure they're treated fairly as business models evolve. What do you think about that? 
Well, I think this is a great and important question. You may remember that Pearson faced a lawsuit a few years ago over its royalty payments to its authors, and that was also proposed as a class action. I think that case was ultimately settled, as I recall, but in the filings in that case, Pearson had argued that class action was just not feasible because each author, at least in theory, individually negotiated their own deals. Now, in practice, most of them probably just signed a boilerplate deal, but the point is, is each of those contracts were, in theory, potentially different. And that doesn't make for a very uh, useful class. And I think that's a pretty good interpretation by Pearson. In fact, I think that's right. I think that using class action would require so many subclasses and so much wrangling that it makes it almost entirely unfeasible to use in this case. I point you to the recently concluded freelance case, which involved freelance writers in the Tassini case. We spoke about it on this show quite a bit over the years. Well, that case as a class action took 20 years to resolve. So one point I close with is this. Really, what are the authors looking for here? If they win this case, their option is what? To force Cengage back to a model that pushed them to bankruptcy? Do they just want to find out how their royalties are being calculated and maybe doing a little negotiation in the formula there? Do they want to get their rights back so they can sell their textbooks and print editions uh, that students aren't going to be able to afford and don't want to buy? So it's just unclear to me what the situation is here with a subscription service just launching, whether or not they'd be better off just waiting to see how things go. On that score, Cengage lawyers offered a near-perfect defense in their answer to the suit. They say they believe that the plaintiffs are actually going to see increased royalties, that the royalties are not going to drop, but they're actually going to go up. And the beauty of that argument, at least in this answer so far, is increase the royalties over what? Increased royalties over what a publisher in bankruptcy would order. Increased royalties over a product, the print textbook, which is in decline. You know, I'm not sure how much longer this case is going to make it in the courts, but I do think it highlights uh, where educational publishing is heading. Uh, the digital is offering new opportunities and new business models. And it also, I think, I think it highlights the potentially rocky road to getting there. So whatever the driving conditions, Andrew Albanese, we always appreciate your reports from the publishing world every Friday on CCC's Beyond the Book. Thanks so much for joining me and have a great weekend. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, two very different laboratories, two very different experiments. Separated by two centuries, they share a common DNA. Frankenstein, the 1818 novel by 20-year-old prodigy Mary Shelley, and Frankenbook, launched online in January 2018 for the novel's 200th anniversary. The innovative publishing platform that hosts Frankenbook is PubPub, among the first experiments to escape the lab at the Knowledge Futures Group, a collaboration of the MIT Press and the MIT Media Lab, as Terry Elling recently told me on a visit to her Cambridge office along the Charles River. We would like to serve as a test kitchen, an incubator, uh, and a staging platform for the development and launch of open source publishing technologies and aligned open access publications. Um, and we are jointly staffed uh, by the press and the media lab. Um, the open source approach uh, not only reduces uh, the precarious dependency that most nonprofit academic publishers have on costly outsourced technologies and a limited network of commercial vendors, but it also provides uh, a foundation for greater in-sourced experimentation and innovation. Um, and I think this is really a way for us to control our future in many ways, which has been increasingly dominated um, by for-profit um, multinationals. Um, we are 
no longer technology informed, we are technology driven, and much of that technology resides outside of our control. MIT's PubPub seeks a new info ecosystem. Next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries Rights Direct and Nixus drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power of publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Thank you.